Oh, hi, Arun. What's up there, buddy? Hi, guys. Well, it's the Higher Standard Podcast. Whoa, I need a little bit more energy than that, my guy. Yeah, you do. You do need a little more energy than that. That's what you guys get for killing my vibe for an hour and a half pre-show. Wow. Yeah. Bro, you ate nuggets and french fries. The french fries really should not. I felt immediately stupid afterward. Yeah, that's what you did. But the the uh, grilled nuggets don't make me feel. There's a lot of sodium. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I feel bad. Welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. In the world. world. Son of a bitch. Every time. Every time. And I don't know why I don't expect it. More. I did a little bit earlier this time. Yeah, it just, he just throws it in there. One of these days, is good. that's going to be his exit for the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are back in the lab once again. And uh, yeah, it's been an interesting week for data because most of the data that's come out has been uh, a regurgitation of things we talked about, but they are getting worse. And everyone's waiting for the big speech tomorrow. Mm. For all the way from Wyoming. Yeah, your boy Jerome Powell is using Wyoming as an opportunity to grandstand a little bit. Yeah. Look where I'm at. I'm in Jackson Hole. With all my rich buddies. And we're doing rich buddy things. Holding uh, hands. Under the auspice of a work expense so we can write this shit off. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're going we're gonna to try to make you scared because he believes a large GDP print is coming. Mm-hmm. But... There's also some interesting things happening to the American consumer already. And uh, there's some uh, thoughts on what this could mean for the economy. A certain type of recession is likely probable now. A type of recession that was predicted right here on this podcast maybe five or six months ago. Yeah, yeah. That is why we are the number one financial literacy podcast in the world Despite what your favorite real estate broker will tell you on social media, because they know all about the economy. Yeah, all of it. I've seen like seven of those videos today, so I am salty as fuck. Really? Okay, just know I'm coming in hot on the realtors today. Let's go. So that that's just an unfortunate thing. We're going to talk about American retailers and restaurants. Uh, they are likely to brace from the impacts of student loan debt repayment. Hey, another topic we had uh, talked about in the past. Well... We believe that we know some uh, retailers that are going to be impacted pretty significantly. Although I didn't think Google some of the names, so I didn't really know who they were, but I thought we could yeah. do that on the show live. Yeah, Biden pulled the old okey-doke on him. That's what he did. And by okey-doke, you mean what specifically? <laughs> so, yeah, a little, little, tricked him a little bit. Like, oh, y'all thought you are going to get away with just doing loan repayments, but I'm going to have to bring those back. Sure, yeah, okay. I mean, kind of. There's, there's allegedly the new version of it on the table, but I, you know, whether that's constitutional or not, I haven't looked at it. The save plan? Yeah, I have not yeah. even looked at it. I, I don't, I don't even, I didn't want to see it at this point because I think the Republicans are just going to challenge it. It'll never happen. <laughs> oh, you think so? Yeah. It's basically income-driven repayment, and some people's statements are going to come in with uh, zero-dollar like minimum payments. Yeah, well, that's under the plan that's existing anyway. Yeah, but they want to forgive those loans, and I'm like, look, man, maybe I'm crazy, but if you borrow money, pay it back. That should be the way it goes. You know, and like no one's going to give you stuff for free. And if you get it for free, you know, good for you, but don't plan for that. Right. Because I don't see that happening. I'm going to be that guy. But again, I, I have not looked into anything that he's proposed under this plan other than I know it's income driven. I know it takes uh, a little bit of the existing structure around uh, really, really low income borrowers and, and tries to forgive them under, the, under that plan. But honestly, not worth the time. Mm-hmm. Just let me know when y'all start paying people pay people off, okay? That's <laughs> yeah. what I want to know. Right. Then we'll talk about the 30-year mortgage rate soaring again. It's going to be a reoccurring theme for a couple months. We're going to talk about this every episode just to drive home the point that there's a problem. Yeah, don't, this, this is not turning around anytime soon. There's been another uh, series of bank downgrades. We'll get into that. And then a little bit of home sales to wrap up the show. Mm. One of the things we didn't put in the show notes but I think is interesting and worthwhile to talk about at that point in time will be that home values went down this month. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah. So, mm, yeah, all the realtors out there were like, it's still up year over year. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> no, it's impacting. Okay, it's real. Yeah. Take that in. Let it marinate. All right. So, let's jump right in, shall we? Let's do it. Fortune, baby. The experience 
hungry American consumer, the YOLO crowd, if I don't mind adding so myself, you know, the, I want to go on vacation and work a little bit, but I want my work to be okay with me being on vacation while I work. Right. A little bit. I don't want to have to use any of my PTO. The experienced hungry American consumer is already crashing the economy into a, quote, rolling recession, end quote, one Oxford economist says. And they're kind of a big deal over there. They know a thing or two. Yeah, you know, they may know a little bit about this. Yeah. But don't take our word for it. We got a long narrative to share with you, kids. Oren Klatchkin. Solid name. Yeah, I had to practice that bad boy. It's <laughs> like, like why do they clutch? Are they messing with you? Do they do they do this on purpose? I I, I mean, did you have to make him sound Ukrainian? Yeah. We're just gonna call him OK. Yeah, there you go. OK, lead U.S. economist at the independent economics advisory firm Oxford Economics doesn't buy the new rosy outlook. Which rosy outlook is that? He doesn't think it's gonna be OK. There's not gonna be a softy. There's not gonna be a softy. There's not gonna be a a a magnificent unicorn leading us to the prosperous land because we have perfectly timed the market and it's going to be okay a perfect, says Mr. Okay. Yeah, a perfect dismount. There's no perfect dismount. And let me tell you why. You've been to the DMV, right? Once or twice? Is it efficient? No. What do you mean? Uh, no, not for me it's not. Why not? I'm waiting in line for too long. Cool. You've been to the Department of Real Estate ever? No. Not efficient. Name a government agency you've ever been to. You're like, God damn, this thing operates so so well. So well, it's well staffed. These people really care about efficiency and getting this work done. Name one. USP, USPS, US Postal Service. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm not hating on my guy. I'm not hating on anybody. But let's be honest. Not known for efficiency and accuracy. Come on, man. I think I'm pretty I'm sure. Just, I'm, I'm just calling it what it is, wait, bro. Hold on, hold on. I'm pretty sure they're known for their efficiency. Okay, I'm going to give you a choice. I, I've, you can choose FedEx, USPS, or UPS. Which one are you going with? Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Point, just, point yeah, well taken. You, yeah, you, you know. UPS, probably. Private sector, brother. UPS, probably. Everybody wants the privates. <laughs> okay? I'll, everybody wants the privates. Everybody wants the privates. Don't, nobody wants the non-privates. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, naturally, the FOMC is a government agency. Mm. That's not what you did there. Or government extension of a government agency anyway. Right. I'm not saying that they don't care about their job or their predictions, but I'm also not saying these guys are going to be the most efficient group mm. to get the job done. Because inflation was transitory. Transitory. It comes and it goes. It's just going to go away. Comes and it goes. It's yeah. transitory. Right. Then it was, you know, it's sticky. <laughs> Real sticky. Okay. Then it was like, well, we could have a soft landing, which is not a fucking economic term, by the way. No. People just coining shit now. Yeah. It's you have a recession or you don't have a recession. Stop those magical foo-foo. Right. Words. Foo-foo words. Foo-foo. Some forecasters are removing a U.S. recession from their baselines. But we, Oxford uh, Economics... We continue to think that elevated interest rates, restrictive Fed policy, and tight doit lending standards will cause a mild recession in late 2023, he wrote in a Tuesday note. However, Klatchkin also noted that you, I'm sorry, how you define a recession is important in this case. Spoiler alert, he's also critical of the National Bureau of Economic Research, as we have been as well. We believe they are all intoxicated and not working. The National Bureau of Economic Research, Enber, defines a recession as two consecutive quarters of negative gross domestic product, GDP growth, coupled with a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy that lasts more than a few months. Well, by that definition, we were in a recession earlier in the year, the first month of the year, mm -hmm. or January 1 of 2022, sorry. Yeah. God, time flies, Right. But the White House said that is, in fact, not the technical definition of recession, but then did not actually provide what that was. Right. Which is also tantamount to saying, look, I know you think you caught me cheating, but this is not cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Just changing the definition on everybody. This is not cheating. Well, naturally, the question is, well, then what is cheating, Chris? And you go, 
Not this. <laughs> exactly. This is not cheating. Because the last 10 times that happened, that actually got declared as a recession. But not this time, Saeed. Why? Because this is not a recession. Okay. But why? Because this is not a recession. Are you not listening to me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Bidenomics, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with some industries performing poorly and others remaining buoyant... It's possible the economic data won't satisfy the traditional definition of a recession used by the National Bureau of Economic Research, the arbiter of U.S. recessions, Klatchkin explained. And we have talked about that many, 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 many times. Unprecedented beginning, unprecedented endings, and just food for thought here, kids. If all these things are truly unprecedented, why do we expect traditional economic indicators to be what we look for in order to make a decision whether this is a recessionary economy or not. Or, yeah, or what's to come, yeah. right? Because the uh, the snowflake that our economy currently is and what's being comprised and what's all going to come together at once, I truly believe is a recipe for disaster. Well, yeah, me too. Uh, but, I mean, there are people who say otherwise, and there, there, are, there are people who believe that things like the housing market continue to be on wildfire and that there are no ramifications for that. But I will tell you, if people can't buy houses, you have a fundamental problem which will manifest in the wealth of the middle class decreasing significantly over the decades to come. The CEO of Redfin actually just came out. He had an interview, I believe, with uh, MarketWatch. And he said, uh, real estate just hit rock bottom. You think, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? He's like, it's so unaffordable now that this is the bottom of being unaffordable. No one can buy a house. This is terrible for the housing market. Yet there are brokers on social media, and three of my watch reels for today, they're like, no, 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 man. You guys don't understand. Now is a great time to buy. And it's like, dude, you get paid a commission when people buy. How self-serving of a statement is that? Yeah, and why would it be a great time to buy? No one can afford this. That's tantamount to me saying I am the sexiest man alive. I mean, that's I am. a bit of a stretch. Why? I am the sexiest man alive. I mean, he's... I said so. Dave, Dave's Dave right there looking at you like... I know, Dave. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you are the sexiest man alive. Yeah. And, you know, unless you're not in the room with me, in which case, you know. He balls so hard. He does ball hard. So hard he doesn't need hair. <laughs> I'd buy mine. <laughs> After years of COVID lockdowns and travel restrictions, Americans are back at airports and restaurants looking to make up for lost time. Their rapid shift in spending habits has helped services sectors like travel and leisure thrive even as sectors that focus on selling goods like manufacturing and construction struggle. Or if Noriel Rubini were here, manufacturing. Yeah, you're so good at that. <laughs> if that continues, instead of a typical recession, it's possible the economy will fall into or, in fact, already is in a rolling recession, Klatchkin wrote. Mm. A theory that we on this show have eschewed thrown out to you the listener on many occasions a rolling recession is when some industries contract and suffer job losses while others continue to grow leaving overall gdp gross domestic product growth positive but low by historical standards right so i got an example here that i was thinking about at home um knowing that we we're going to have this discussion on a rolling recession and what that actually looks like yes so think of it as it going into three phases and in a, think of it as it being an economy that's primarily made up of manufacturing, services, and agriculture. Manufacturing. Manufacturing <laughs> services and agriculture. So phase one of this would be if there was a, a recession in the manufacturing industry or that sector, um, there would be a decline due to factors like reduced demand for goods and high production costs, okay? As the output then drops, companies would cut back on production, leading to job losses. And we know when there's job losses, obviously, there's a reduce in spending. What then happens, you roll now into phase two, where it becomes a recession that rolls into the services sector. Once the services sector gets impacted, People lost their jobs in manufacturing. They reduced their spending on services like dining out because they don't have enough money and entertainment and traveling as well. Now that that's been impacted, it now rolls over into agriculture. And these things take time for it to all play out all the way through. Once it hits agriculture, there's reduced spending in 
manufacturing services, which leads to demand for agriculture products and affecting farmers and related industries. So you can see how it can slowly transition from one sector to another to another. And I truly do. I mean, uh, answer honestly. Mm-hmm. And Arun, feel free to give your perspective on this as well. We do care about you Thanks. a little bit. Yeah, you're welcome. Doesn't that not des- does it not describe what we've been going through for the last year and a half? It feels that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely it. It describes what Jerome Powell and the FOMC members have been trying to accomplish. Right, like. They were trying to target the hot labor market so that people would become tighter with their spending. Mm -hmm. And once they became tighter with their spending, they stopped going out and stopped spending as much. And when they would would do that, then services inflation would ultimately come down. Because right now, shelters primarily keeping inflation up higher, but so is services. And the services portion of inflation is the thing that the Fed believes that they can likely impact the most with their fed funds rate by increasing the rates it should that should get impacted quickly but it hasn't been didn't you want to let arun opine at all why <laughs> why did you say why, did I hate, did, why? wow <laughs> no what do you mean wow he, I, like, he, he clapped <laughs> did he say can i say something i didn't hear him why because i mean i'm just saying like you know <laughs> Jesus. You covered everything? I mean, did you want to do the rest of the show by yourself? Wait, hold on. <laughs> I, just, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> just say, why, why would you want him to listen? No I opine. want him to opine. I just, you said, why? <laughs> That's not what I meant. That's what you said. You're, tw- you're twisting it, things. I, I feel like I didn't. Oh, you dude, said, I would why? Love to, I would love to get your take on this. <laughs> you covered everything. I feel like you forgot the question. He did. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, please, God, say, say I, I, you need to give me a thank you for saving you right now. Thank you. Remember when Odin was supposed to be on the show? Oh, yeah. As your substitute. As my substitute? Whatever happened to that episode? We got Uh, Larry instead. Yeah, we got Larry instead. Yeah, Larry Mm. came in. Odin got saved by Larry. And the irony is, is Arun would have promoted it more. (laughs) (laughs) Way more. Yeah, he would have gotten out to way more people than Larry got his out to. Right. That's okay. Because America's retailers and restaurants brace for a shock from student loan payments just as they're getting over the concern for Larry Wheels is gone MIA. Mm-hmm. Have I hit that point home hard enough? You have. Okay, all right. But before you move on to this article, there was one part about the article that you didn't mention that I felt needed to be mentioned. So you waited for me to move on before you brought that up? Well, you just decided to move on. I wasn't I wasn't ready to move on yet. Oh, okay. Do tell. So there's an excerpt from the article that I want to make sure that we capture here. A quote. However, some more bullish economists, including Moody's Mark Zandi, mm-hmm. yeah, I read that one. are yeah. betting on a soft landing. Yeah. I, dude, he told me to my face. Hey, Mr. Zandi, I got a real problem with that. Okay? Zandi said earlier this summer that light household debt loads. Light? Oh, I didn't know that there was light household debt loads. Did you know that? I would say historically high debt loads are not light. Maybe a record-setting debt loads? In his defense... He, uh, he has updated that. Okay. Uh, stable oil prices. Yeah. And anchored inflation expectations should help the Fed tame inflation without subsequent rise in unemployment. I got a problem with all this. So I would like to defend him here. Okay. That's all I've got to say. I would like to defend <laughs> okay. him in theory. Yeah. He said light household debts. Mind you, this is the chief economist over at Moody's Analytics. He should, be, he should be up to date on all the analytics. Well, when I spoke to him a couple weeks ago in person when he was in the office, he did mention a, a light recession. I remember you telling me that he's a very nice man. Very I, nice man. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's not. Yeah. And way more charismatic than he sounds like on his podcast, which is dull at times. Is can be. I mean, I granted, I understand you want to be professional and we don't care about our careers, but, <laughs> you know, it just, you know. Yeah. So, light household debt. Let's go over this again. Student loans are at $1.57 trillion. We are at the highest non-household debt we've ever had in history. Auto loans, record setting, $1.58 trillion. Credit card debt, over a trillion. A lot of trillions here. Are you catching on? Yeah. Um, trillion, tr- trillionaires? Tr- 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 trillions. Tr- tr- trillion. Three times? Yeah. Nobody catches that. No. My humor's on a different level. <laughs> yeah, there's levels. Of Stable oil prices. Bro, filled up my gas tank today. $100. Yeah, mine was, mine was 100 bucks uh, on Sunday. And yeah, that's for my wife's car, too. You know what I found? She drives in my a car? Honda. She drives a Honda. 
this is gonna be fucked up. And I know, I know, I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this. Okay, we went to dinner, you know, during the whole hurricane that hit our our coast that was so traumatic. I mean, we barely made it out. Yeah, you barely made it out. I was at dinner in Newport Coast or Newport Beach. We went to this new restaurant, Mexican restaurant, and we ordered two desserts because this is my cheat meal before tonight's cheat meal. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot. Of, I feel like you're leveraging future cheat meals. You're borrowing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm on borrowed time. I'm not gonna have cheat meals 2024 at this point. <laughs> but uh, so you know, we're we ordered uh, dessert. And I just wanted we wanted to try a little bit of everything. So it was like a bite or two of everything. So we ordered churros, which is normal two churros, some sauce to dip it in. And then we ordered flan. The flan was like a fucking. Cake. I mean, it was a normal size cake. It was huge. Hot take. Flan's overrated, bro. Way overrated. But sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good. This is actually pretty good flan. Okay. So we took. Couple bites of it here and there, but there was more than half left. We got home. I my wife told me she was gonna give it to her mom. Okay. I was in my Jeep the other day. I'm like, why does it smell weird in here? Oh no. Mind you, this this is a week ago almost. I mean, this is this, this is Thursday as we're recording this. Today is Thursday the twenty fourth. Okay. Sunday we went to this restaurant. Right? Oh my gosh. I look in the back of my Jeep today, because I'm putting my backpack back there. And there's that flan that's been in my car in the heat, rolling around me for like. I swear to God, I thought I was going insane. Did it spill over? And I asked my wife, I'm like, "Hey, honey, no, it didn't spill. Thank God." I'm like, "Hey, honey, um, what happened to that flan?" She's like, "I don't know. I thought it. I thought, didn't you give it to your mom?" She goes, "No." And I'm like, "Shit, I should have known." You instantly knew yeah. where it was. Yeah, I knew. It was terrible. So I've been rolling around with rancid flan in my car for about a week now. Yeah, that's the level I'm on. I can't. That's yeah. not pleasant. You want to know how I'm not cheating on you, baby? Because ain't nobody getting <laughs> yeah, in my car. That's, <laughs> <real bad. laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I saw that thing with uh, Moody's and, and and the comment there. I was I was going to try to be the bigger man and not bring it up because mm-hmm. I, I have an appreciation for Mark Sandy. But yeah, clearly you hate him, so it's fine. No, it's not that. I, it's not that I hate him, but even the stable oil prices. We it, the last CPI inflation report. Yeah, energy prices were down. I think it was twelve and a half percent year over year, but it was actually up almost four percent month over month. Yeah. So it, nothing about that is stable. It was going in the opposite direction. So I just took issue with that portion of the article. And when you talk to him in recent weeks, I think I think they may have pivoted a little bit. But yeah, I will say J.P. Morgan Chase has been pretty pretty bullish on the idea of a recessionary economy. They've been they've been out in the news. Not not Jamie Dimon, but the Economist. There, yes, I've been talking a lot about a recession. So yeah, they've they've cut their predictions on on a recession. Yeah, but they still they still believe they're gonna there's gonna be one, but they don't believe it's gonna be as severe as it could have been. So a softy. I did not I can't, say I can't believe Jamie's co-signing this. I did not say softy. I just said it's not as severe a recession. You know, expe- expecting more out of Mr. Diamond. Well, I mean, you never know. He might run for president. So I don't blame him. Time will tell. May I go to the next article now? Yes, please. Is that all right with you? What's going on with these retailers? I don't want to offend your traditional notions of fair play. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Good? Yeah. Okay. Well, why? You're sensitive. Yeah. And I'm respecting your. Th- I don't want you to say why to me I, like you did to Rune. I feel like the theme of this show will be why. <laughs> Said said, "Why are we all here?" Yeah. All right. America's retailers and restaurants brace for a shock from student loan payments, according to Yahoo Finance article. And guess what? Similarly, as I was, we led the show in with that we talked about in the previous uh, show. There are some reoccurring themes with concerns of student loan repayment. If all the debt that Saeed talked about are in fact or is in fact at historical highs, and then you add back in the student debt payments that people have not been paying, there's going to be some problems. Well, Yahoo Finance took the liberty of pointing out how some of these could directly impact certain retailers, which I thought was really interesting. Borrowers aren't the only ones bracing for the impact of student loan payments resuming. Some of America's biggest retail and food chains have been preparing investors for a slowdown in consumer spending as the more than three-year pause in student loan payments come to an end. And I hadn't even really thought that it was three years until I read this. And I was like, wow. It's a long time. It really has been that long. People have made decisions, life decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think about it. If you got like a car with an extra car payment, you're like, I deserve this. You know, you just thought this is going to be forgiven one day. Whoopsies. Quick question, Chris. Oh, that was sharp. Okay. Hey. Well, because you mentioned that last episode on Said and I talked about on the drive back home. You were going to talk about your car experience, remember? That's right. You did say that on the last episode, and we realized we never got around to your personal car situation. 
my you, personal car situation. You said yeah, you were hyping it up. You hyped it up in the show, and you were like, um, "And maybe I'll give you guys an update on what's going on in my car." I was like, "It's still going to be a luxury one." You're like, mm, "We'll see. It might be a Mirage." Oh yeah. Oh so. <laughs> so the Rivian sent me a Rivian. So they originally sent me a delivery window between October and December, right? Okay. They sent me a subsequent email saying. Good news, we haven't changed your delivery window. You're still on time. I log into my account. It's now December through January. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck just happened? They keep pushing it out. But they said it was the same delivery window. And I'm like, because it's still October through December, December to January. So it's still December, I guess, overlap. Right. But they've also changed some of the model aspects. So not only did my range go from like 450 miles to 360 miles on a charge, which is, you know, 90 miles is pretty big, but whatever. Then like some of the features, like the uh, the rolling automatic um Truck bed cover is not there anymore. It's manual, and you have to pay extra for it. Like, whatever. Okay, fine. Now, like, the the powder-coated calipers, which were yellow, are non-powder-coated at all. They're raw, clearly trying to save money because they're selling me a car, which is below their retail at this point in time. They're taking the, the yellow accents and made them black, which I kind of dig, but at the same time, it's like so much of this is changing now that I'm, like, annoyed with the process. Yeah, well, let's be honest. You wanted the longer range initially so that... If you had to drive up to San Francisco, you could, but you're not going to San Francisco anymore. No, no, it's not even that. It's my wife drives a lot, and we typically drive, for, like, she has family in the valley. So we'll drive through L.A. to the valley and then back. But if you go with her Tesla, which is a 75D, you need to recharge a charge at one time in between. So being able to go to L.A. and come back and not have to worry about charging is a plus. Wait, it's th that far away? What? The valley? Yeah. I mean, you said you had 385 miles. No, 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 no. On the on the Rivian. Yeah. Which would more well, than cover us What does the back. Model X have? The Model X, she has a 75D. It's supposed to get, so they tell you it's like 240, 250, whatever it is. It's 240 fully charged, but you don't charge it fully. You charge like to 90%, generally speaking. I see. So you, And there's also some battery wear over time. So it's getting about 200 miles per charge. Wow. That doesn't include AC, everything else. You wind up bleeding a little bit more miles out of that. But if you drive all the way to the valley and try to drive back home, you won't make it. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't fly. Yeah, so we typically stop and charge once and on the way back, and it takes like 20, 30 minutes. So the idea was having a car that we didn't have to worry about that with, you know? Yeah. A little, little, bit, little bit more mental freedom. That's the whole thing with EVs that, like, you know, like my some family members that I that have, like, these Teslas, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I see you get your weight. You're parked at the supercharge for 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes it's it's a nice little mental escape. <laughs> I mean, no. you, can, you can fool yourself all you want. I have enough stuff to, that I need to get to. I want to fill up gas tank. F five minutes later, I'm out. Well, and that's why you're seeing now kind of a resurgence in, in traditional combustion engines and, and hybrids. Yeah. So you're seeing kind of like the EV market. So it was a, ton, a huge push towards the EV market. And now you're seeing a push back in where like Ford is now calling back their numbers for EV production and going back into combustion and back into hybrids a little bit more because it, Americans just aren't ready to, for full EVs yet, mm -hmm. and the network isn't there. If we get to a point where you can charge through like the same magnetic charge your phone has while you're driving on the road, and there's inductive charging that way, and you don't have to ever worry about charging your vehicle again, everyone's going to go EV unless you're right. like you know off off grid. I think I saw an article today. I, I didn't make it into the show notes, but General Motors just laid off like over 900 employees. No, I didn't um, see that, yeah, yeah um, and it's from their like their. Uh, one of their technology offices. Mm. So maybe they're pulling back too. Maybe, but, and that's probably where it was from. But so I have the Rivian on order. I have the Hummer on order. The Hummer, I already picked all my options and my colors. And something tells me the, hub, the Hummer will get here first. And I also have a Tesla Cybertruck on order. And the Tesla Cybertruck is supposed to start at like 50 grand. Dude, this thing has been talked about for so long. You, they're now shipping like, big rigs with like several models on them that they're taking photos of and snapping and the people have seen like a number of shots but at this point i don't know which one's going to show up which, so that, one would you, which one would you want the most i feel like the cybertruck's the, the one uh man so i really don't want the hummer as much as i thought i would it's just too expensive it's almost like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. no it is one hundred fifty thousand dollars. i just i have a hard time justifying well, that what's for the a cyber truck fifty thousand what it's supposed to be like around 50 grand no way yeah it's not supposed to be that expensive Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be relatively cheap, which is, I think, why there was so much interest in it. Um, And the Rivian, I think the one I got now would retail at 104. I think I'm, I'm getting it for like 87,000, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm more I'm more along the thought process. I get the Rivian, 
And if Cybertruck comes out, I'll sell the Rivian at or above the value, and then I'll probably swap to the Cybertruck. Make Cyber a quick truck. buck. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a daily driver. I don't need something that's fancy. I just need something that's got miles and range. Yes. Yeah, that's all it is. So. Got it. Um, can I finish the article now? Is that, is that okay? It was Odin's question. It was Odin's question. Rune, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, wow. man. Yeah. Said, you, you too kind of. Why? Why? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate why? you. Why? Is that you, Said, back there? <laughs> just, why? Why? <laughs> don't. All right. So, quoting again from the article from Yahoo Finance to end the quote, we are most cautious on brands with high exposure to student debt holders and inferior value perceptions amongst 18 to 34-year-olds. The most representative demographic of student debt holders, T.D. Cohen analyst Andrew Charles wrote in a note to clients. The research team at T.D. Cohen, or Cowan, is it Cohen? Cohen, whatever, mm -hmm. highlighted uh, Target and Ultra as particularly vulnerable. Sorry, buddy, it's Ulta. Ulta, sorry. Wife, oh, that's the my, cosmetic brand, yeah. My wife buys some makeup from there. Yeah, okay. Alta as particularly vulnerable due to their exposure to the younger, low-income consumers with student loans. Your your wife shops there? And she, I think she's got a few pieces from there. That's, I mean, the song Younger, low-income consumer with student loans. I'm just, I, you said that. I'm just... Wow, a room made it big. Thank you. That, that's helpful. That so, number one on the list. There's a list here. I want to go through this list. I thought it would be helpful. Academy Sports. That's just a sports retailer, right? It has to be. Right? I've never heard of them. Uh, number two, Foot Locker. Ouch. Childhood favorite for me. God damn. They're, they're going to suffer. First, East Bay goes away. Now this shit. Dude, East Bay. I've, the kids don't know about East Bay. I have no idea. Uh, no I idea. used to get them and I would flip through the magazine. I've actually, I bought clothes out of there. I remember, and one used to sell all their stuff out of there. Yeah, I remember. Back when I could fit in normal clothes before I got beefy. Those and one t-shirts. Do you remember those? Oh, so good. Dude, their, their marketing team was brilliant. Right up until they weren't. They, right just, they, they did not change with the times. Yeah. Number three, Burlington, as in Burlington Coat Factory. I've only shopped there once. Uh, number four, Ross. Number five, TJ Maxx. Number six, Dicks. Sporting Goods. Yeah, that's what I said, Dicks. Sporting Goods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Home Goods. Number eight, Marshalls. Number nine, Ulta. Not to be confused with Ultra. Mm -hmm. And I can't see the rest of them. Costco, Target, Walmart, Kohl's, Nordstrom, and Macy's. Wow. So right out the gate, I thought, okay, the first two, Foot Locker Sports. Okay, like I, I get that. And then you started going through the list, and you're like, okay, these are, these are all the interesting retailers that all almost like couch themselves as luxury goods retailers at a discounted price. Mm -hmm. And it makes me like question. I've long said stores like Nordstrom Rack don't sell you anything you can't get in Nordstrom, but it's the perception that you're getting a discount because of the way they market them in the store on racks. Mm -hmm. Right? And that, that's been proven out a number of times. You get some deals there if you look hard, whatever. But people are so eager to put a brand on them that people who should not be wearing them or should not be concerned with looking at a certain type of way are the most common type of shopper there. And I was this guy. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I get it. But at this day and age, I don't give a fuck about brands. I, I want to wear something that I feel like looks good and feels good. And I'm comfortable in, right? Yeah. Yeah, because most, most people are more concerned with looking rich than actually being rich. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And I think that's what this list really, you know, kind of highlights. And the idea that if student loan repayment kicks in, these are the companies that are that are likely to have problems and have been kind of telegraphing to the market. There could be some earnings pressure on them, i.e. an earnings recession coming forward for consumer discretionary spending to some of these locations. That's really just sad. Right. And so that's the unfortunate timing of student loan payments coming coming back is when all this comes to fruition at one time because we know, as we know, the Fed has been fighting this inflation problem now for the greater portion of, what would you say, a year and a half, two years, right? About two years, yeah. About two years. And the number one tool that they've tried to use is, you know, raising the Fed funds interest rate, which would cost, you know, the banks more to borrow money, which ultimately what they're trying to do is pull money out of the system. By pulling money out of the system, they're trying to pull out all the excess money that they handed out with the stimulus packages, right? I think we we said it was about two point three trillion, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and we know that I believe the San Francisco Fed reported last week that savings is down. They did right yeah. by it was at five hundred billion now down to hundred and ninety billion. So all these media outlets that are reporting that the consumers been in good shape, the consumers really propping up this economy. Yeah, consumers with bad behavior, financial behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Their credit cards are ma- getting maxed out. They're opening new credit cards. Their savings are being depleted. I don't, I don't necessarily understand how or why people think that we're still in a, in good shape. How we can have a potential GDP print for Q3 at 5.8% and people are celebrating like this economy is resilient. No, this economy is filled with a bunch of people that don't know how to manage their debts. You know, if there's one thing I can say I've learned in the last couple of years uh, because of the show in some ways is I always listen to a lot of people talk about the economy and I watch television a lot for uh, back then, at least for a lot of this data and a lot of this thought. I used to really think the people that were talking heads on television or the people that were subject matter experts or perceived that way really knew this stuff. And now I look at it as doctors. You can be a doctor and be a fucking idiot. Yeah. You can. You can be a doctor and try to put somebody into your specialty and completely misdiagnose something. Because you have a bias. If you're an ENT and someone's coming to you with throat clearing issues, you're going to go, okay, it's related to post-nasal drip. If you're uh, an internist, I think is what it's called, or a stomach doctor, whatever the hell they call it, gastroenterologist, whatever. Some internal medicine. Yeah. And someone comes to you and say, oh, it's because of uh, fumes from your stomach acid coming up because your esophagus isn't closed. They all try to find a way because it's not always black and white. And the economy, much like that, is not always black and white. And everyone's got a perceived bias because of their background. This is why some of the real estate economists like Lawrence Yoon over the National Association of Realtors, Logan over at Housing Wire, they really, really frustrate me because their implicit bias is that all these things are going to be okay. And they're not looking at the, the ramifications on the road because they, they have a favoritism. They have an internal bias and it's frustrating because it, it's like a cyclical parasitic thing because sometimes people, homeowners, realtors, they want this positive reaffirmation that things are going to be okay. So these economists who are pitching not necessarily the, the best possible clear view of the economy are out there constantly regurgitating data on CNBC on these places and getting these guest spots because it's happy, happy, joy, joy. It's gun, it's gumdrops and lollipops. It's sunshine and rainbows firing out their ass at all times. I don't see that. And I look at the economy, I look at this data and I think to myself now from a, a much more educated long-term path on this, that it's not so confusing. It is what it is. Stop looking for reasons to rationalize why these things are okay. They're not okay. What bothers me too is I, I still hear some of these talking heads mention, you know, the consumers out there because they have all this pent up frustration from the pandemic yeah. and they want to go out there and spend and they, they want to go out there and travel. I'm like, okay, man, maybe some, or maybe they just, they just want to spend and they had a certain lifestyle, right? And they don't want to give it up because they've been, all the talking heads out there have been mentioning, you know, rosy optimism the second half of the year. Everyone was, I mean, they were predicting initially two to three rate cuts by the end of this year. I know. Uh, I right? Know. At one, they, were, they were actually out there saying two to three rate cuts by the end of the year. And it was, there was a lot of optimism for second half of the year growth for all the S&P 500 companies. And now look, we're going to get to the end of the year. There won't be a single rate cut. And not only will there not be a single rate cut, there won't be a rate cut till June of next year at the earliest. Dude, I, I remember last year, early last year, I did Pineda's podcast. And I'm I, sorry. I, I, yeah, I regret that for a couple of reasons. But um, he was convinced at the end of the show, he was telling me at the end of the show, he was convinced that the Fed was going to cut interest rates by the end of that year. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. He's like, it's going to cause this and this and this. And I'm like, that's literally the opposite of what they've been saying. and Exactly. The opposite of what they're saying. And it kind of benefits you if you tell your listeners that. Yeah. Again, it's, it's the gumdrops and lollipops. Mm-hmm. You can shit unicorns and rainbows and shit, but it, that doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. Right. You know, you can, it's just not, not the way it works. So speaking on um, kind of clarifying some of these data points and, and really highlighting how some of this is, can be misconstrued. 
I, I found this article from Reuters. U.S. 30-year mortgage rates soar to the highest since 2000. Not a topic we have not covered before on the show, double negative, but it is a topic that these two charts really drive home well. First chart, U.S. mortgage rates shoot to the highest since 2000. The interest rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, the most popular form of U.S. home loan, hit the highest since December of 2000 in the latest week. That's all well and good. But if you look at the chart, the gray bars going up and down are recessionary economies. And the line post, uh, I would, if you want to call it the COVID recession, I hate calling it that, has been on a downward trend going all the way back from 2000 all the way to about the COVID recession. It's been going down, incrementally down, not 45 degrees down, but you know, it's been going down. Peaks and valleys, right? Peaks and valleys, but gradually going down. And then wham. Yeah. Right back up. Mortgage rates are, are very, very high. Tantamount to where they were around 2000 leading into the fintech bubble bursting, that recessionary economy. So again, very, very similar. Now I would say the lead into 2008, the, the, the great recession rates didn't spike this way. At least and it certainly wasn't this big of a Delta from being as low as they were to as high as they were. But if you look at something like that and you think, okay, maybe there's a correlate, maybe there's a similarity here. Cause if you erase this COVID recessionary period as this really weird time where we did really weird things and, put all this money in the economy and it caused all sorts of, we shut everybody down. So it's, let's call it a manufactured or manufactured. Yeah. Uh, if Noriel was here recession and you really look hard at the great recession in 2008, you look really hard at the FinTech bubble bursting. I'll tell you that I see on this chart, the way it's spiked up so quickly and the yield curve is still inverted today. And this has got more room to go up in my mind at before year end no matter uh, with, as well so even more cadence i think this is telling of a very very gloomy hard landing mm. as a possibility because you can't have this level of variance in home pricing and not cause problems the the people who are very big sponsors of the idea that, that this is not going to be as impactful as i'm making it sound will tell you well chris hey there's no supply in the market with limited buyers there's going to be less supply in the market because nobody's going to want to sell and it's like no People will still need to sell, and they want to have buyers. That means there's going to be more inventory, not less. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. And it's going to take a long time to get there. I, granted, something has to break. Something's, something's definitely going to have to break, or something's going to need to happen in order for more inventory to come on to the market. Because affordability, the affordability index, the housing affordability index, the ratio is at a, is approaching all-time highs if it's, if it's not already there. And- People just can't afford. So either home prices need to come down, and the only way to get there, from what I can see now, is for more inventory to come online. The only way more inventory can come online, as of right now, given our current state of the economy, is if mortgage rates come down. Because people have ninety-two percent of homeowners have uh, mortgages of six percent uh, or less. Yeah, but see, here's the thing: is, is you're not going to get mortgage rates down low enough in the years to come to really drive that. So something else will have to give. Yes. Something's going to have to give to, because I think it was in the, in the great recession, 2.9 million homes came onto the market. Right. And that's what caused, you know, the market to come down. But, but that also had foreclosures, subprime mortgages, people who couldn't afford homes. And that was the impetus for that delivery of homes onto the market. We're not going to get that this time around. Not, not based on what we're seeing so far. And right. certainly if there is a catalyst to cause something like that, we haven't seen it yet. Right. So I agree. Uh, I will pivot to the next chart, the mortgage application volumes plunge. Same type of spectrum where you see the, the recession is laid out. This one going back to the 1990s as opposed to just 2000. The surge in interest rates has driven application volumes for mortgages to buy home to the lowest since 1995. Wow. Uh, so when hip hop was actually real and good. <laughs> Um, suggesting that the housing market may remain under pressure for some time to come. And yes, it will. So to see this drop off after all these years is really interesting. So basically what this chart shows you, if you're driving and you want to imagine it, you see from the 1990s, early 1990s, all the way to 2005, mortgage applications were consistently on the rise. Now, granted, there's peaks and valleys here in between, but it was consistently on the rise. They started to decrease before the Great Recession around 2005, hitting their, their final bottom floor around 2010. 
And from 2010 all the way to just past 2020, going into probably early 2021, more job applications were starting to rise around the same pace they had from 1990 to 2005. And now they've dropped off much faster than we've seen at any other time period, except for that same 2005, 2010 period. It's very, very similar to that, that kind of window. Now, again, if you're driving and you're imagining 2005, you started seeing the drop-off in applications. 2008, you had the Great Recession. Today, you're seeing a drop-off in applications. Does this foreshadow a recession or not? I don't know. I don't know. It remains It remains to be seen. So the existing home sales report came out, and this is another one of the reports that the Fed likes to look at. Not, you know, two of the main ones. That they really like to look at the jobs report and inflation. Jolts. But ultimately, when they look at a report like this, it impacts a certain section of of the inflation report, which is shelter, right? Yes. And uh, this report came out and it said the median price of a home sold in July was $406,700. That's an increase of 1.9% year over year from July of last year. Mm. Um, what I found shocking still with rates where they are now, 38.2% of, of homes sold were sold above list price yeah i've seen it uh very very recently uh, one of the agents for my uh real estate company who uh i've been kind of working with for some time young guy and, and i don't take any commissions from these guys it's just more of trying to help them get their broker's license but you know we talk to him a lot you know we kind of go back and forth we engage he, he just sold a property and it sold like 100 grand above list it's insane man and they were so the buyers were so relieved to have an opportunity to buy a house and got an offer in that they were almost grateful. It's 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 wild still, and I'm not I'm not I'm not justifying that. I'm not going to say that you know this is all going to crash. People use the word crash. Anytime that someone says crash in a market, whether it's real estate or the stock market, it means twenty percent of values or more. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that crash is on the horizon. We had predicted a decline of prices somewhere between ten to fifteen percent. It did at one point, I can't remember what time of the year it was, it did get down to 11% at one point. Yeah. They have since rebounded. I fully anticipate it's still coming back down to to another you know, 10 or 15% at some, at some point in time. Yeah, I do too. When that point happens, or I mean, this is some of the laggiest data that we've ever seen. I will point out, actually, I was thinking about this earlier today because I was thinking about back, back to my conversation with Adam. I always said that July of this year was the time to buy. And I think that's what the market did. And that's why you saw prices drive back up. So the market was listening to you. I think everybody in the market was like, you know what? That guy's, that guy's just a fucking genius. Such a, such a genius. Um, something else from this report that I thought sh- should be mentioned is, though, currently there's 1.1 million homes listed for, st- for sale. For stale. For stale. It's, that's considered low inventory when comparing to pre-pandemic levels. And the 38.2% homes sold above list price that's that's considered well above pre-pandemic levels and when you listen to a lot of talking heads or you know podcasts like ours or hopefully you're mainly listening to this podcast i mean if you listen to somebody else why why right yeah. you're going to hear them reference you know data year over year and month over month but you're also going to hear them reference data pre-pandemic right and they're not going to talk about 90s hip hop not they're not going to give you that love yeah you're not going to hear about biggie you're not going to biggie Pac. Pa- yeah i mean i mean goats yeah. Nas. You know, I really felt let down by Nas. I can't believe he didn't respond to us. And yeah, we did uh, put in a request to use his music for the intro and the outro. I like to think he got lost in the mail. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or he's still upset about the whole Khalees thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Bill he was Murray. about to, but he did it. Right. Bill Murray went in and fucked it up for all of us. All right. Yeah. It's fucking Bill. Fucking Bill Murray. So you're going to hear um, a lot of people talk about data from pre-pandemic levels and that's because like i mentioned earlier the fed is trying to pull the money out of the market right now there's a lot of a lot of savings that people are still have and the fed wants to take all that money out and get us back to whatever pre-pandemic levels we were at at you know something that's a little bit more sustainable um i guess whatever you would consider normal times if you will um and until all that money comes back out they want to compare to those levels to see where we fare yeah, I, I struggle with that right now. You can't you can't put unprecedented money in the economy and then try to use historical levels as, as a way to indicate future probabilities. But that's a longer argument for another day. 
But to think that this is not impacting other sectors already would be naive. Mm-hmm. As we talked about on previous uh, parts of this show and previous podcasts, we think a rolling recession is a probability of what we are experiencing currently. And if you recall early in the year, the tech sector, the real estate sector, the uh, banking sector were all hit pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. And just because those impacts to their earnings have been felt and the stock market has traded the traded them down as far as values go, doesn't mean that's where the bleeding stops. The next impact is rating season. The rating agencies will rate some of these companies. And big banks, for example, this according to Yahoo Finance, S&P just downgraded some big banks. Here are the five that are impacted. That's the article name. I don't think we're going to actually go through all five. But what I will tell you is Finch, Fitch just did the same thing. They're, 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 down, they're, graded, they're rating them down. So from the article, the credit agency pointed to, quote, tough operating conditions, end quote, which for those of you who are uninitiated, that means lower earnings, okay? They're less profitable. That are straining the banking industry and also lowered its rating for two other banks. In explaining its rationale for the downgrades, S&P noted in a report on Monday that banks are facing risk that could make them quote, less resilient than similarly rated peers, end quote. Less resilient meaning less profitable, once again, if you read between the lines. The move comes only two weeks after Moody's cut the credit ratings of 10 small banks and mid-sized banks because of growing financial risks and strains that could erode their profitability. Again, thinking less profitability, earnings, at least this one is a little more pointed. Both credit rating agencies are taking steps in the wake of a banking crisis that began in March when Silicon Valley Bank, once the country's 16th largest bank, collapsed just days after depositors grew fearful of its solvency and made a classic bank run. Right. I feel like adding the made a classic bank run. Classic? Really need to be called a classic right. bank run? So something that I wanted to dive into uh, about this um, so the S&P, right, it's an index. And I thought it would, might be helpful to explain, like, what an index is. So oh, okay. Um, an index is basically a list that tracks whatever that list considers as important things. So for this, it'll be companies or banks or, you know, you think stock prices, right? And it groups them together and it tracks them as a whole so you can kind of see how they're all doing together. So, um, well, in this context, uh, SNP is, is a global rating service. Yes, global rating service, yeah. right? Like so, Fitch, like Moody's, they, they provide ratings. Yeah. Right. So then, and then if, when they give ratings, right, this global rating system, think of it as like a teacher and a student giving out a grade. Mm-hmm. And based on the grade, you can tell whether it's a healthy, viable business, whether something worth, worthy to invest in, or if they get downgraded or receive a poor grade, then it should leave investors somewhat fearful. Yeah, and, and this is this is across all industries, all sectors. This is just the banking sector as a proxy kind of for what the bigger market tolls are. Mm-hmm. But uh, these have implications uh, for the secondary market, how people trade you based on your, quote, perceived grade or your rating from the agency. In some cases, like banks, it can limit their ability to do certain things like borrow broker deposits and, and uh, you know, I guess play with other financial institutions. So what are, what do you mean by borrowed broker deposits? So... Um, one of the things that banks do, banks do is they have several different deposit types, right? You can get monies from money. From I hate when people say monies, and I find myself saying it from time to time. Yeah, I know they say that in law school, too. It bothers me a lot, yeah. yeah. You can get money in the form of deposits from clients, whether that's an individual or business. And that's direct to you. You can also get wholesale funding, meaning that uh, a broker will give you a bunch of CDs on deposit, for a period of time, right? So long as you pay a higher rate, right? So it's, you, a, it's a way a bank can guarantee deposits coming in the door. But it's not granular. It's not core deposits. It's well, it is core deposits, but it's not granular deposits coming from your retail structure. It's deposits that you effectively are buying. Yes. Right. If rates right now are five percent, and I'm willing to pay five and a quarter percent from your for your brokered deposits. And you give me them in you know sixty million dollars slugs. It's a win for me as long as my cost of funds at borrowing something like the Federal Home Loan Bank is less than or sorry is more than five twenty five. My cost that I'm paying you. 
Right. And it's, it's a bit of an arbitrage. And it's a it's a way for, for a bank to, you know, show their loan-to-deposit ratio looking more favorable, too. Because you've got more deposits. Because you have more deposits. And it's it's not something like they're cheating their balance sheet. They're obviously put in a very good position because their rating is well enough to where they're allowed to buy, right? Yeah. And yeah. and they've managed their funds and well enough to where they they have the flexibility to do so. Generally speaking, if a bank has a lot of wholesale funding, it really puts pressure on their profitability because those are generally the highest price deposits you're going to have. Mm. Whereas deposits to most consumers, in some cases, aren't even interest-bearing accounts. They're non-interest-bearing accounts. So, right. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely some some interesting stuff going on there, and it could impact the banking sector further. Do I think we're going to see more you know, banking deposit runs or a classic uh, run on a bank? No, I don't think you're going to see that anymore. But do I think the... The paint is gone for banks, for for mortgage companies, for, for the real estate business. No, not at all. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be a very difficult year, year and a half. Yeah. And so to your point, if they if they get downgraded enough, then you no longer have that ability to get those deposits, which could ultimately put you in even... It basically gives banks less tools at their disposal in case you know uh, a bad situation arises. Yeah, because think about it this way. If I'm a broker and I'm trying to place these CDs at high interest rates... And the ratings for your bank, your your grade is bad. I'm not going to want to go to you no matter how much you pay me because I'm worried about your failure. Right. And some of this is is truly unfair to these banks, right? Like we mentioned before on previous podcasts, they're only required to stress their books 4%. Yeah. And for the Fed to raise it up to what, five and a quarter to five and a half percent, I mean, to the average listener, maybe that's not a big deal. But I mean, I think the average listener hates banks. That's the problem is banks got a really, really negative connotation in the last several recessionary economies. And I think people think of bankers as like the devil. They they do. And I think they what a lot of the rhetoric that I'll see, because I like to always just scroll through the comments. You like the shit talking. I, I want to see the comments. I want to see, you know, get the pulse of the nation. Right. The shit talking. The shit talking. Yeah. It's always fun. And you'll say. I'll always see a few that say it's going to get, be really hard for you to get me to feel sorry for big banks. Yeah, no, that happens a lot. Happens you know? a lot. And, you know, I get it. I mean, I'm a banker, but I, I get it. And and I'll tell you that yet this love affair with people in other industries, it, it's, it's weird to me. Mm. You know, I look at, again, I'm, I'm a real estate broker. My, my, everybody in my family, for the most part, my wife is even a real estate agent. Right. So this is not a knock on anybody in the space, but... Yet you trust your real estate agent like they're like they're gospel when they give you advice on buying a home. They haven't had any economics courses unless they had an, you know a degree which required it in school. Right. They may have had real estate finance, real estate appraisal, but why are they why are they not the devil? I almost feel like and it's it, it feels like bankers get painted with the same brush as like um almost like bad attorneys, politicians or politicians that yeah. like or like attorneys that like will like take your kid away from you in like a child custody case like wait hold on i don't think all attorneys are rated like are, are like seen as bad i think some attorneys are seen as good i hope so uh, but i think politicians yeah i know i'm also an attorney full, full disclosure um the uh i think i have like the trifecta of like terrible 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 but uh um, <laughs> why aren't you a doctor bro yeah i know because at least i have a good quality right um i think bankers are seen as politicians i really do i, I think that people people hate politicians it's just how much they do they hate you less than somebody else. Mm. You know, just yeah. Maybe I'm just being insecure about it. I don't know. No. Do you love me? Not really. It's okay. I'm not late. not with your energy levels tonight. I'm telling you, man, you guys gas me out with this like hour and a half long, like sit me down on a couch and talk to me well, for dude, like, you never we never get time to I talk. I was ready to, you. to go, man. We never get time to talk I to you. I came in juicy. <laughs> I mean full of energy. Okay. If you if you say so. Bro, he ate the French fries and he got lazy. Yeah, that was your bad. Coma. First of all, I wasn't going to eat them. You're the one who handed me the bag, you fucking bad influence, enabler. You asked for a number or whatever it was. No, no, no. I said I asked. You read my text. He said, I he swear said, to God, I said he wanted chicken. He wanted grilled nuggets and a Diet Coke. Yeah, I didn't say anything about uh, fries. That was on you. Which one you ordered? Okay, because I thought for sure you sabotaged me. I'm not going to lie. No, I'm not that guy. I, I believe it will ruin in if, earnest. If I'm going to sabotage you, I'm <laughs> I'll get you grilled chicken nuggets and sprinkle sugar all over. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it's <this> good. <laughs> Damn, I'll give you some more next yeah. time. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I could have never done drugs like that. <laughs> I, I, I could have never done it. You want to know why? Why? I just can't let go of control. I can't do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just can't. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I know. We, I, I could sense that. You can't let go of control. See, if I'm making a self-aware admission of a characteristic flaw. Being vulnerable to me. Being vulnerable. Opening up my heart to you. <laughs> okay. You're supposed to be a better fucking person. <laughs> I'm not. Right? I'm not. I'm not above that shit. Why? Why? Why is it? You've never once opened up on the show. That's not why? true, huh? That's not true. Why haven't you opened up on the show? I, I agree have. with him. Why? I have opened up on the he show. He was quoting you, by the way. Why? Wow, he was. That's that is yeah. the title of the show. Yeah. Why? So I just why to know why? Why? Yeah. I have opened up on the show. Not really. Yeah, man. Nothing personal. Nothing deeply personal. Let me talk about the kids. My nothing. Wife, nothing my deeply. My about wife's car accident. No, stop. Not, not your wife's stuff. I want to know about that's, you. That's me. That's my. I want to know about your that's insecurities. My be, that's my better half. Have you had a hair transplant? <laughs> no, I don't need. Why'd one. you laugh, bro? That's fucked up. <laughs> that's fucked up. I, I, I can't. You're right. I can't laugh during Hair Awareness Month. It's Hair Awareness Month, man. Can you imagine? I still can't believe. This is Pride Month. This is the shit you be laughing at people like that. It'd be I, messed up. I can't believe you tried to slide that in mid month. <laughs> just like you knew about that shit bro they called me the other day I got asking a, I got for a, a donation <laughs> no, asking no. for a donation not a donation <laughs> no no they called for a shout out they called and they're like hey um and the lady was the kindest lady ever she was super sweet she has to be she's like look like i want you to know what you're doing for people when you put stuff out there is you're you're really taking away their fears and you're empowering people and i'm like yeah yeah and she's like a lot of men don't talk about this stuff, and to have somebody like you out, you know, who's very open about it, mm-hmm. is willing to talk about it, it's really, it's then, really empowering. And we're very comfortable spending thirty grand. <laughs> <laughs> we need more people out there saying, you know, it was worth every last Stop penny. Stop going to Turkey. You know, the wor- that's the worst part. So somebody yeah. asked me this week. She's like, "Oh, you got a hair transplant? Did you go to Turkey?" I was like, "No." She's like, "Oh, you should have." Why is that? That how did that get publicity? Everyone was doing it. Because it's all over Instagram, man. Like, there's literally pictures of people, like, coming on flights back from Turkey, and all you see is, like, these dudes who had hair transplants, like, heads. Before and after. No, it's like they're all in the in the plane yeah. with, like, their heads wrapped up because they're coming back from Turkey with hair transplants two days later. Oh, That's I, a thing, man. I know somebody that got a hair transplant. and Me? No, and somebody else, too. You have other friends? I have other friends. Damn, it's And they, uh, they had to, like, they kept them there for, like, a week. No, man. you. I went home... Oh, yeah, Arun just pulled it up. This is fucked up. This is real. This is the real thing. The flight back from Turkey. And all you see is bald heads in the background. Arun can't play videos anymore. Oh, yeah. I forgot, to, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah. Something, something's wrong with... Oh, here you go. <laughs> this is hilarious. Yeah, this is real. Oh, my gosh. And if you want to see this, you know what you got to do? You got to make your way over to YouTube. You got to subscribe. You got to like the video. You got to hit that notification bell in order to be able to watch this. I thought we agreed that it was going to be smash the button. Smash and hook up, right? Yeah. Right. Smash, smash the button, hook up with the bell? Yeah. I don't I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out. Exactly. And we have had a slight rebrand of the show. If you follow our socials, our Instagram has been uh, streamlined. Mm-hmm. Very special friend has helped us out with that. And uh, our uh, YouTube presence Shout has also been... Shout out to the special friend. Yeah. She is a special on that one. And uh, the YouTube has been uh, rebranded slightly to match that with a dark black aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Really highlighting the uh, olive complexion of our skin. Mm. And the studio. And the studio. He's black. Is, yeah. He's noir. Yeah. Yeah, very sexy. People always ask, what's your, like my son asked me, what's my favorite color? And I'm black. like, black. Not really color though, is it? It's a shade. Yeah. I mean, you're colorblind, so I get that. It's the one you're like sure on. It's g- easy. You know that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can't mess this, this up. What color are your pants tonight? Uh, they're khaki. No, they are not khaki. They're not. No, that's caramel. That's ca- <laughs> caramel. <laughs> caramel. It's caramel or caramel? Caramel. 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 I don't know. It's very confusing. Well, we would like to read you uh, the newest review, except we don't have one. <laughs> so Yeah, y'all were doing really good for a little while, and then you let up. I don't want to call anybody out by name, but we know the names of the people who did leave a review, which means if I see you, and I can't associate that or attribute that to you. You're an asshole, right? It, it, Don't listen, be an asshole. Exactly, Leave a review, which, right? Like I shouldn't have to come out and ask for the review. I thought we were better friends than that. When we started the show, I would routinely grab people's phones and leave a review on their behalf, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to be forced to have to do that again. I will drive to each of your houses and grab your phone. That why? That's taking it too far. Why? Is it? I mean, if they give me the address, I mean, it's consent, right? Why? 
No? Too much? All right, whether that's on Apple or on Spotify, go ahead and leave us an honest five-star review because if it's not five stars... Seriously, why? It's not honest. Arun, you have any thoughts on this? Why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> I was so confused. I thought he... You big league the shit out of him. No, no, that's not true. I would that's never, true. I would never big league him. I thought you said he he tried to chime in. I was like, I didn't hear him chime you would in. Never, you big leagued him 30 minutes ago. No, I didn't. I would never I did it. Him. I didn't know I did it. For that, I apologize. You're bro. such an asshole. You don't even know you do it anymore, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, that's not true. It was subconscious. He got mad at you for asking why. I, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. Okay. If we're being honest, I thought you asked me the question. I didn't know you addressed it to the room. I literally said his name. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. So you don't listen to the show? No. This is how much of a self conscious asshole you are now that you just this subconsciously is, do this, this shit? Is, is this what we're doing here? Uh, Arun, you cleared your throat again, by the way. I know. Uh, I on, on the hot mic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving that shit in the show. <laughs> I want everybody else to hear. I hear that, everybody, 10 times a night whenever I'm editing the audio on the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Billy Goat back there someplace. <laughs> uh. Well, call it, friendo. That's right. You're not going to steal my line this time. No, I'm going to let you do it. All right. Good night, everybody. I almost said it, too. (laughs) Bye.